Hello and welcome to episode 363 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. I'm Ben Olson, that's Nathan Fox, together with the co-founders of LSATdemon.com and the LSAT Demon Daily podcast. If you are a first day listener and this is Monday, August 15th, you can get on our next show by emailing us today. We record every Tuesday. That's help at thinkinglsat.com. The next registration deadline for the LSAT is Thursday, September 1st. That's for the October 2022 LSAT. You can find all these dates uh, and registration dates at lsat.link forward slash dates. If you have not come to Nathan's free shit, you should. It's every other Thursday, 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern. The next one is Thursday, August 25th. It's going to be accuracy versus speed. Learn why accuracy beats speed every time at every level. You can sign up for that class by going to lsat.link forward slash Nathan. Anything you want to say about that class? No, I'm going to talk through a hypothetical Mr. Speed versus Ms. Accuracy. And it turns out Ms. Accuracy kicks Mr. Speed's ass every single time at every level of LSAT performance. So low scorers, middle scorers, high scorers, everybody needs to be accurate, not fast. Great. be a good class. Cool. On today's episode, we talked about um, how to get rid of anxious thoughts. We talked about how much people are watching TV. Um, and then we just, oh, and the score preview yep. change, right? And how that does not matter. Do not worry about score preview. And then a bunch of other emails, just a mailbag of questions. Yeah. Anything stick out to you? The score preview thing was the big news from the show. Don't do score preview. If you're yep. on the fence about it, don't do it. Just don't take the test. If you're really on the fence about it that much, you're probably not ready to take the test. Thinking that score preview magically makes it okay for you to take the test. That's real bad. That, that means you're not happy with your range of practice test scores. You're probably not going to go in there with a good attitude. You're not going to go in there with the right mindset for the test for the test day. And this extra money that you're going to pay for score preview doesn't put you in any better position to answer the questions correctly. So it's, I think it's just a waste of money and I, I really don't recommend you do it. Right. Onto the show. Well, let's jump into this first thing here. I added it. It's um, anxious thoughts. Before was... we even get there, I want to talk about publishing industry connections. Uh, so we will get to the anxious thoughts thing, but before that I put it in bold, so you didn't see it. Um, <laughs> that's exactly right. <clears throat> funny how that happens. We are looking to publish a book. We, uh, are writing a book. It's called the LSAT is easy. We have the capacity to just self publish it if we want, but we wanted to try to go the traditional publishing route this time. If you happen to know an agent or somebody in the publishing industry, Specifically, somebody who works with test prep, it's a narrow niche, so it might be kind of hard to find the right person. But if you've got somebody that you think might be able to help us, we have a book proposal ready, sample chapters and everything. We just need to know uh, who the right people are to send that to. You can email um, help at thinkinglsat.com if you have any kind of a connection in the publishing publishing industry. Thank you very much. All right, Ben, let's talk about anxious thoughts. Yeah, so I was listening to something. I can't remember what exactly, but the person was talking about anxious thoughts. And I thought, okay, this applies to the LSAT. There are so many people who are taking the test and have anxious thoughts. The comment that really caught my attention was, or really two comments. The person said, what good are these thoughts doing for you? What, what good are they, right? How are they helping you? 
And the obvious answer to that question is they're not. And then this person said, get in the habit of switching them off until it becomes natural. And the idea is when these thoughts come, instead of reacting to them and maybe speeding up or whatever it is that these anxious thoughts cause you to do, just deliberately say, no, nope, I'm I'm not listening to that. Instead, I'm going to go back to doing whatever it is I'm doing right now in this moment during this section. So reading this sentence, reading this question, reading this answer choice, whatever it is you're doing, or maybe pausing and thinking about the question. But this idea of stop, just switch it off and go back to what you're doing is what I wanted people to hear. And so I don't know what kind of anxious thoughts people are having, but over the years, it seems like we've heard things like, I'm not going to finish this section, right? So then that makes people speed up. I'm not going to do as well as my last practice test. I'm not going to do as well as I did on my last official LSAT. I've been hearing both of those this week. So I added them to your list here. You know, we got the August LSAT coming up. Yep. yep. Um, by the time you hear this, probably you already took the August LSAT if you were going to take it. But uh, so many people writing in like, I just I'm stressed out that I'm not going to do as well as I did. And it's like, OK, but that's not helpful. Yeah. What else is on the list? OK, I've got to hurry. I've got to get through this section. I can only get three questions wrong to get my goal score. That's right? People have one. these numbers that they. uh People get done with the test and they immediately email me about canceling. And they're like, well, I know for sure that there's five that I missed. And then there's another three. It's like, wait, what? What do you mean? You know, for sure that there's five that you missed. Didn't you get yeah. as close as you could to answering that question? And you did select an answer, right? OK, yeah. well, then you don't know for sure that you missed it. And, and you guessed yeah, you on the remaining it, guessed on it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So the counting up as you go. That's a real bad plan. Boy, you're you're just not focusing on the task at hand. You're not focusing on the question in front of you if you're doing that shit. Yep. That's the only thing you have to focus on. And these other thoughts may come in, but you have to get in the habit of shutting them off and saying, it doesn't matter. How are they going to help know, me? They're not going to help you. Well, so shutting them off. I mean, I think from like a mindfulness perspective, we might not try to encourage people to shut it off. Rather, we would encourage them to notice it and then let it go. You know what I mean? Like not a keeping out. Because then you can get stressed out about, oh, I can't stop these anxious thoughts. Well, possibly. Yeah. I mean, I've heard that idea before. I think I've even said it. But I guess what I like about it is maybe by shutting off, I mean, redirecting your focus to what you're doing. Because thoughts are just thoughts. And... Ultimately, what you're doing is what matters. And so, yeah, maybe the wording isn't the best, but this thought comes and it's just ignore it. Redirect your focus. Yeah, yeah. I would rather say let it pass. Get back to work, you know, like take a breath, recenter yourself, focus on the task at hand. But you're not going to stop. I don't think you're going to stop some portions of your mind from peeling off into these other tasks that are not related to helping you 
I think the key is to notice it when it happens. Instead of getting carried away by those thoughts, you take it back to, wait a second. who gives a shit about the total number of questions? What? I'm doing one question. I'm reading one sentence. Yep. And and so it's it's not not falling off the wagon. It's more like getting back on the wagon. Absolutely. It's it's redirecting, right? These thoughts may come back. I I guess the thing I want people to do is recognize the power in refocusing on the question at hand because the instant you do that that thought also goes away because you can only think yep. about one thing at a time. So you may have that thought. And the key here is to not entertain it, not give into it. Just say, okay, well, great. You had a thought. We all have thoughts. Yep. Th- these are thoughts and a lot of them are stupid. And these in particular are unhelpful and thus stupid. And so it's okay that you're having them. We all do. But just come back to the passage, come back to the passage, come back to the passage. I like that. Notice yep. it, acknowledge it. It's like, accept it. It's, it's okay. And acknowledge its stupidity, right? Because it's it's people giving them value and credence and belief that well, then I mean, changes their behavior. Hey, I'm standing over a three foot putt, you know, I should make that mm, most of the time. Yep. But I am going to miss it some of the time. Yep. I have to kind of accept that. I have to be I have to be like, well, yeah, you are going to fuck it up sometimes. But standing there going, oh, it's going to be so embarrassing if I miss this. I, I don't really think I can prevent that thought from coming in. I think it's more like I can let it come in and go, oh, there's that dumb shit again. Yep. Let it go. Take a breath. Hit the putt. Accept the outcome. And refocus on what you're doing, right? Refocus yeah. on however it is that you best set up for that putt, because that is what's going to help you. That's exactly. actually useful. Yeah. Get get back to the work at hand. I like that. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So here's some more. I got to get to the last game. People say that all the time. Again, not helpful. Well, it's <laughs> it's not your business. Yeah. Your business is the game you're on. Yep. So, yeah, there are further games and yeah, you would like to get those points, but you're not working on those points right now. You're working on this one. Yeah. Okay. The first game should be easy. I mean, we should presume that most of the LSAT is easy. Yeah. But when it's not, you know, like it's, I hate I've been playing so much golf lately, so I got nothing but golf <laughs> analogies. But, you know, it's like, yes, sure. I should make par or birdie on this easy par five. Yeah. But I hit a sideways shot. I'm like, fuck now. Okay, so what are you going to do? Are you going to like just, oh, I should make birdie though. So I'm going to try some ridiculous shot that I can't make. Yeah. Or am I going to like punch it out and get it back in play and try to make a par or maybe a bogey, you know, like damage control, just sort of like do your best on the shot in front of you. Not the like, well, but I, oh, I've already fucked it up now. It's like, Okay, <laughs> well, then just quit, like go home. Yeah. You know, I hate reading comp, period. <laughs> Some people go into sections such as reading comp, hating it. It's like, okay, so what? Just do the sentence in front of you. I hate science passages. I hate formal logic. I don't remember how to do necessary assumption questions. Yeah, that's a good one. Because 
we do talk about question types and question types matter. They, they can be really helpful and important to know. But also the words on the page ask you a question that you can answer just, you know, like some people totally crush the LSAT with no prep at all. Yep. So they don't know whether the term you, necessary assumption question. No, they, <laughs> they just, just say which one question. is an assumption that the argument requires and they go, oh, OK, so one of these is required by one of these has to be true according to the argument. OK, well, that one, you yeah. know, <laughs> get it right. Yeah. OK. Parallel reasoning questions are so hard. Mm -hmm. Are they? Also, they're not. I mean, for <laughs> some students, they're the easiest type. But. Yep. What if the proctor interrupts me? <laughs> That's a great one, especially in the age of, uh, you know, the uh, online LSAT and people freaking out about Proctor U. Yeah. Yeah, there are a lot of those stories, but the people who don't have stories to tell don't tell any stories. And so <laughs> you don't hear all the good news, which is the vast majority of people take it without a hitch at all. Yeah. And he, I mean... <laughs> Even if, what is that thought going to do for you? Just, just if the proctor interrupts, say, yeah. what do you need? Got it. Thanks. Going back to my test, right? Yeah. Always coming back. Bad things before they even happen. Yeah. That's crazy. I have to do well on the next official test because I need to apply this fall. Mm. Yeah. That's terrible. If you really want to drink our Kool-Aid, You've got to just give up on the idea of any particular application cycle. We want you to go for free. And you having any particular cycle in mind does not help you go for free. Nope. You got your whole life ahead of you. Yeah. Okay. My, pa <laughs> my parents want me to stop preparing and just take it. Yeah. Are your parents paying? I mean, do, and do they know anything? They, they want the best for you, but they don't know what's best for you necessarily. Yeah. So... Have them listen to some of our podcasts or something. You know, we still need to do that episode, Ben. That's like just for parents. Oh, yeah. Okay. That'd be an interesting that. one. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody should email us. Help at thinkinglsat.com and tell us stupid shit your parents say. And then we'll put a whole agenda together. Of <laughs> responding, responding to each one. <laughs> to your parents' <laughs> dumb things that they say about law school. They love you. They just are uninformed. That's all. Well, and how could they be informed? I mean... Even if they did go to law school, they probably went to law school 40 years ago, so they don't know the game. Nope. They went to law school when tuitions were five or 10% as high as they are now. And when the scholarship game wasn't as fucked up as it is. And the test wasn't what it was. <laughs> but yeah, they, they right. Exactly. Like they there's I've had people like I've had parents of kids call me. And tell me about how they did really well on some particular aspect of the test. And I'm like, on what? Like, huh? What? They're telling me about, you know, I don't know if it's like analogies or some shit that's like, what? There's, <laughs> that's not on the LSAT. What are you talking about? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, you're, and your point time. is? Yeah. My friend's sister just got a 174. <laughs> oh, wow. Great. Good for her. Doesn't affect you at all. A bunch of other people just got a 182. Doesn't matter. What matters is right in front of you. Yeah, they also got a fucking jet ski and a, like, who cares? Yeah. What? It's not it's not related to answering the one question that's in front of you. So these thoughts don't they're going to come. You can't stop them. But I, I, I would just say redirect. Get back to the task at hand. Just yeah. And 
I think it can become a habit to the point where the thoughts also give up. Some of these thoughts go away. There are tons of people who take the test and have none of these anxieties because you also have the opposite outcome. When you focus on the questions and you get them right, then you start to believe that you can get them right. And then you keep doing that over and over and over again. We hear it all the time in class from people who used to rush, then they started doing what we said, then they started acing all the questions they got. They're now getting 20 questions out of 26 correct, but they're only attempting 20 or 21 of them. And they're just waiting as they practice for that number to go up. They can see the light at the end of the tunnel. They can see how to do it. And those people aren't dealing with these thoughts because now their brain is producing a bunch of other thoughts. Slow down. This works. Focus. This works. You know it's going to work. The best way to get this answer right is to do nothing but think about this question right in front of you. It's a reading comprehension test. Yep. Are you understanding what you're reading or are you spacing out and, and, and just letting your mind wander into all of these other areas? Uh, lawyers are exceptionally hard workers I mean, they're, they're testing your ability to focus and your ability to just really decide that you're going to understand what you read, no matter how boring it may, it may seem. Yeah. By the way, it's not boring if you understand it. It's really boring if you don't understand it. You know, like imagine looking at a book if you're illiterate. What is this piece of trash? But, you know, when you're engaged, when you understand what they're asking you, then it becomes a fun, easy puzzle to solve. All right. What's this thing about Netflix? Yeah. So this is another thing I was hearing. Um, this is a pretty old article. Had you heard this before? The Netflix CEO was being asked about his competitors and he didn't say that his number one competitor was Amazon or Hulu or any of those other streaming services. He said that his number one competitor was sleep, <laughs> that they were trying to get people to watch more Netflix, but they were running up against sleep. Because people were watching so much. Yeah. They were getting it says tired. here that on average, 70% of Americans watch an average of five episodes per sitting. That's insane. I have binge watched things. I, I have I have watched five episodes of shows before. If I mean, God, I hope these are like 20 minute episodes. Yeah, if, if they're short, you know, if, if we're if we're talking about a half hour comedy or something and you're just binging through, I, I guess that makes more sense or, or cartoons or something, but I mean, five episodes <laughs> of, uh, you know, the Sopranos is going to take you uh, five hours. Um, that's a lot of TV. Yep. <laughs> I, I, I've talked about this on the podcast a lot before. I was just down in Santa Barbara, you know, hanging out with some buddies and I, I got a buddy down there who his first move in any room is to turn on the television. You know, it's, it's just like kind of, as he's getting ready to go play golf or he's getting home from playing golf or he's in a hotel room on check-in or get up in the morning and go, you know, turn the shower on, but he's turning the TV on at the same time. It's just like the TV is always on. Interesting. And, uh, you know, we were talking about this, the, the focus and the anxious thoughts and, and that kind of stuff earlier. 
I, I wonder if there's a, like a correlation between those things, because I, I don't know about you, but I spend a lot of time in silence. Like if I'm driving, I listen to music or podcasts or sometimes nothing. And when I'm around the house, it's music or a lot of times nothing. Yeah. No, absolutely. Just, <laughs> I run like, and sometimes I listen to music. Sometimes I listen to an audiobook, and sometimes it's just like, no, let's just run. Let's just, just run and breathe yeah. and like think and not God, just be have your brain continuously peppered with uninvited. I mean, you're inviting it. You're the one who turns it on. But geez, like that's just not just voices in your head. I don't know. People like the company, I guess, but I, I, I'm happy. I'm happy with my solitude, I I, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't, I mean, I guess I have a few reasons for sharing this. One is I want people to be aware of how these companies look at you. Yeah. If you're aware of that, maybe the, oh, this is another thing he said, um, he said, you get a show or a movie you're really dying to watch and you end up staying up late at night so we actually compete with sleep and then later he said and we're winning so (laughs) if you recognize that you recognize what netflix is doing with you maybe you'll be less inclined to give in to that temptation because you know some of these shows are tempting and they're nice and and then you wake up the next morning you're like ah why'd i stay up so late watching that well someone deliberately tried to get you to do that and they won are you going to let them do that again and again and again? And is that hurting yeah. your LSAT prep? And it could we don't want to compete with girlfriend, sleep. roommate, buddies, off co office workers. You know, oh, did you watch the Bachelor Bachelorette? You know, and you have to watch it so that you can talk yeah. to them at work the next day. I don't know, man. Like when people say they don't have enough time for LSAT prep, maybe I'll start responding sometimes. Just like, how much TV do you watch? Yeah. Say anything good lately? Yeah. Because most people do watch a lot of television. And, and it's a big uh, shift, you know, because yeah. when when we um, before we could binge watch things on Netflix, it was you would turn on the TV and there was what was on. And then you're trying to find even cable. You're trying to find something that interests you and then nothing really interests you. So it wasn't as tempting. Now it's you can get exactly what you want when you want it. And then you can get the next episode right away. That just wasn't a thing. And but honestly, some people don't even give a shit. I mean, some some people just channel surf or turn on Netflix and just shop on Netflix for an hour without actually watching anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or they just turn on ABC and just leave it on 24 hours a day. I don't I mean, understand that. What's, what oh, what is the point? Know. I don't know. Huh. Company, I guess <laughs> it's bad, though. And. Do not let it complete compete with your sleep. I think watching yes. TV in bed is a really bad habit. It keeps really people up real late. Mm-hmm. I would encourage you to read in bed. I mean, reading is better and it'll probably eventually you'll have a hard time keeping your eyes open and then you can just go to sleep. Yep. Uh, falling asleep with the TV on is man. It's voices in your head. I don't, I don't think that's good. Nope. This next one is from Preview. Says, hey, guys, I just got off the phone with LSAT customer service after noticing the change in policy on their website. Maybe we should have led with this, Ben. Uh, LSAT score preview is now Mm. available to all test takers, not just first timers. 
you can purchase score preview for all of your tests. So it's it looks like it's $45. Anyway, anyway um, I'll read this email. I know your basic advice has been that score preview in its original form was a waste of money because a bad score and a cancel look the same. But with this new global policy, does your opinion change? For example, someone could register for the next three tests, purchase score preview for each, and only keep their highest score, therefore never be in a position of having a high score followed by a lower score. Well, the problem, you, you actually can't do that because you have to take it once, look at your score, decide to keep it. You can't. Yes or no. <laughs> Go back and <laughs> retroactively remove previous scores after you see your second and third scores. You yeah. know, if everyone would just realize that law schools only care about your highest score, then you would realize that score preview is a complete fucking waste. It's interesting, too, because it costs money. So who does this help? One, people love paying for shit. Two, well, it helps LSAC. Helps LSAC. I don't <laughs> know that it helps money. rich people, but it certainly if this eases anxiety, right? Basically, if you have money, you can pay for this. And if you don't, then thank God it doesn't matter. But rich people love paying for things. I mean, it, it's like I was just reading a thing about um, mega yachts in The New Yorker. Hmm. And it's like people who have money like to spend money. So there's when what are you going to do with money when you have too much of it? Um, yeah. So this is a way that you can pay LSAC more. It's positioned as like, oh, we're doing this for equality and just, you know, fairness or whatever. How, how, wait, wait, how is it being pitched as equality and fairness? Oh, they just, because people have asked us, this is what they want. It's more, you know, it's, it's more equal and fair. It, sh it shouldn't just be for first time test takers. Oh, it should oh, be for right all there. test takers. Now you can just pay a lot more for the LSAT than you did for before. every test. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's a way of price discrimination for sure. I mean, it is a way of letting people who want to pay more, pay more. Economists would love this idea. It's, it's beautiful. I mean, give, give people a higher option is a good strategy for business. Yeah. They're probably making money off of this for the first timers and realize they can make more if they just. Oh shit. Yeah. It. And, and it's money that requires them to do nothing. I mean, they, it's going to be automated. They're going to email you out your score. You have to decide, choose it or cancel it. You it's, they do nothing. You pay $45 more. Is it 75 after the fact? 75. Oh, after you register 45, when you register and 75, if you've already after the registered test day, I'm sorry, after you take the test or something, remember? Oh how shit. So you can actually take the test, think, Oh, I didn't do as well as I hoped. Let me pay $75 extra for score preview. That's what it was before. At least. Yeah. There was two tiers. Yeah. Oh wait, here it is. Score preview. I'm on the website. Score preview costs 45 if you purchase it prior to the first day of testing for a given test administration, or 75 for those who purchase the option during a specified period after their test administration. Come on, man. So it's like they're so it's like they it's they're gonna gouge you for even more if you're doing it in a moment of post-test anxiety. Which is gonna happen a lot. A lot of people if you are pay, rationally say no to this and then irrationally say yes. If you're doing it test. because of pre-test anxiety, it costs 45. If you're doing it because of post-test anxiety, it costs 75. Okay. I don't think this is good. I don't think they should have it at all. I, I think I think it's bad. I think it's I think it's just bad. I think everybody needs to realize that 
unless you're talking about Canadian law students. And even there, there are law schools that only care about your highest score. Some of them average. If you're if you're going to if you're applying to schools that average, then I can see some case for score preview. But if you're going to schools in the U.S. that only really only care about your highest score, I mean, they're going to admit you and give you scholarships because of your highest score. Yep. Then score preview is dumb. All I don't care. It's dumb the first time. It's dumber the second or third time. I mean, hey, look, don't take the test until your practice tests indicate that you're ready to take the test. Yeah. And then take the test and do the best you can. There you go. And then ta- and then accept it like you're going to miss the three foot putt sometimes. Who cares? <laughs> it's yep. like you get five chances at that three footer and only if you make it, does it even count? I mean, if you miss it all five times, you're fucked anyway. Yep. <laughs> right. Like yeah. you have to get a score on record at some point. So I don't see what I don't see how score preview benefits anybody. I mean, it I guess maybe it alleviates some anxiety for some people, but I, I don't think it should like rationally. It should not. But it does. But that's just because people misunderstand. Yeah. So if you don't understand what it means when we say law schools only care about your highest score, like if you don't understand that. Then maybe score preview is a good investment for you, <laughs> but if you well, only psychologically, saying, though, not in reality. <laughs> no. Well, I, but a psychological benefit can be a real sure. benefit. Sure. So, sure. you know, like it, if I don't know, it seems a lot cheaper to just really wrap your mind around the idea that schools only care about the highest one. Mm hmm. Cheaper and more effective because then you can also, that can lead to other behaviors, not just avoiding score preview, but also taking the test multiple times. Whereas some people are, you know, committed to one or two times only because they don't want to be seen as taking it too many times. And it's like, okay, well, that's another false belief. Yeah. Some, you know, they say, what's the downside besides the $45 surcharge? Um, Yeah, no, the downside is the $45 surcharge. So So if if you you just don't give a shit. Yeah. And want to pay $45 extra for every test, then go right ahead. How many LSATs are administered every year? I think there's, by the way, uh, nine, nine, 10. No, uh, total tests administered per like two per student. Like, uh, how many student tests are taken? Oh, uh, I don't know. 120,000. Let's say a hundred thousand. So okay. 10% of the people bought for bot score preview. That's 450 grand. <laughs> I mean, it's a good business move for them. I, I don't I don't think that it's sensible for students to buy. What wait, what percentage did you estimate? 10% bought it? Say 10% buy it. Oh, I bet it's way higher. Score okay. I was being conservative. Yeah, fair <laughs> to enough. Get to my fair enough. I just thinking like think about and think about the number <laughs> of people who are gonna buy it at $75 who are like, oh, oh right. Oh, and then buy it. Yeah, so yeah. we'll say they're making between half a million and a million or more off of this. Yeah. They're doing it by popular demand, though. People asked for it. So there it is. I just don't think you should buy it. All right. Want to read this one from Adriana? Yeah. I've had an LSAT Demon Premium account now for only about a week. However, I've been listening to your podcast for over a year now. I've tried several different online courses as well as LSAT books, but your course has blown me away so far. Cool. That's great to hear. It has been a struggle to stay motivated and on track a lot of times. I scored a 140 diagnostic in February and finally broke the 150s a few weeks ago. My goal is to break into 
to the 160s and I feel empowered to do so with my demon account. I shit you not. Tonight, my demon account made me cry. I did not know that the website will stop and ask you to take a break and meditate after so much time has gone by drilling, has gone by drilling. I clicked on the five minute option and then heard you talking, guiding me through it. I know that this is so small, but I have been super overwhelmed lately and being told, hey, you should take a break was helpful. Within the last three years, I'm medically retired from the military, bought a house, became a full-time student, had brain surgery to remove a fast-growing tumor, which has since left me with vision and cognitive disabilities. Oh, and to top it all off, I have a toddler. My life is hectic, to say the least. I say all of that to say that the meditation piece of the demon really moved me. I think a lot of us LSAT learners do not take enough ample time to just chill the fuck out, especially when we have a lot going on outside the LSAT. Thank you guys, not only for the demon and the podcast, but for just being a couple of chill dudes. Are we chill? Sometimes we, we get a little... I try to be. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I feel very at ease watching your lessons and hearing your explanations. I look forward to smashing the LSAT in the future. Thanks to you all. Exclamation point. Wow. Well, you know, first of all, thank you. I'm so glad that you encountered the meditation part of the drilling uh, app. And this is this was uh, Nathan's idea, I'm pretty sure. And Nathan recorded the meditation piece. And we've heard this several times. Times <laughs> yeah, it's funny. People uh, like the, crying, the features that using really the move people are <laughs> yeah. just yeah. I don't. That's some random shit that we decided to try. It's not like a grand vision or anything. Just we try things, and if you like them, we keep them, and if you don't like them, we get rid of them. So uh, anyway, thank you, Adriana. It's a very nice note. Makes me think too of all the development time I've spent on some features. Right, it's like my life has been isolated and dedicated away to some feature and no one seems to notice not and things then, that made people then nathan's cry, like yeah. oh do a do a meditation <laughs> app i'm like what the fuck okay that'll take two hours and then we throw it up and everybody starts crying like okay all right <laughs> all right thank you adriana next one is from uh anonymous it says um I've been a Nathan. I seek your advice on whether it would be a good idea to stick to only the LSAT and school until December. I am in a really good place financially right now. I want to start grinding for the LSAT to reach my goal of breaking 170 by December when I plan to take the test and get a full ride scholarship. I already hate this plan because you're deciding in advance when you're going to take the test. You should not do that. You've got five months between now and December. Maybe you're going to be ready. Probably you're going to be ready. Hopefully you're going to be ready, but maybe not. And maybe you would be ready sooner or maybe you won't be ready, in which case you're going to have to take it later. That's one thing I hate about this plan. The other thing I hate about this plan is that you seem to be putting all your eggs in the basket of just one test. Like I'm going to take it in December. I'm going to get a full ride. And then the third thing that I hate about this is that it sounds like you're planning on applying this cycle. Which, if you're taking it in December, then you're not following our advice if you apply this cycle. You need to apply next cycle. Because you need to apply at the beginning. I mean, do you know, Ben, some of the applications are already open. I've started getting some emails about that. Interesting. It's August. So applications are open. If anybody's getting scholarship offers, please send them in. I mean, we like to report on the first scholarship offers of the cycle. Last yep. year, they were in early September. 
Um, applications are definitely open in early September, and in some schools they're open in August. If you're taking the December LSAT, you're just you're too late to the game. You need you need to show, you got to show up at the beginning of the cycle. That means for you're that applying in money. January, and you're probably yeah. being diluted by the quote early decision deadlines oh. that some schools have in February or yeah. even March or April, which is yeah. not good. Your application deadline is when does your application open? When your application opens, I'm there. I'm going to show up with the kick-ass LSAT score. And you're going to probably want to get me a scholarship offer pretty promptly before all these other schools get me a scholarship offer. Yeah. You want them to be bidding on you. When you apply in January, it's the other way around. They've already filled half their class. Anyway, um, part of this is because... Also because I hear logic games are leaving the test in 2023. Wait, what? And I want to take the LSAT with logic games because it's the easiest part of the test to master. That's news to Ben Olson. I mean, I know we had those, those sample <laughs> like diagramless well, <laughs> questions. Is that <laughs> right? They, they settled out a this? lawsuit that they're supposed to be researching how to get rid of the logic games because the logic games are discriminatory against blind people, which they're not. Mm -hmm. We've heard from blind people pretty unequivocally telling us that that's not true, that there are workarounds that they can figure them out. <laughs> it's just yeah. words. They, they can get words. Um, <laughs> so it's not uh, anyway. Um, we've talked about that a million times on the show. They did test has been mentioned. They, they, they tested some, weird logic games light kinds of things <laughs> on the most recent LSAT. logic games light yeah okay yeah did you use scratch paper <laughs> right and then asked you if you use scratch paper which so it's clearly that's what they're doing they're doing their research you know yep mm -hmm. and maybe the four year i think it was a four-year thing like a four-year mm. period of researching it seems like yep. they started researching it near the end of that four-year period okay and then like you know Maybe they're going to actually, I don't know, who knows? Maybe the logic games do go away in 2023, but you've heard it somewhere anonymous and Ben and I have not heard that. So, I mean, if you have intelligence that the games are really in fact leaving in 2023, you should email us help at thinking .com. But even then they're not leaving. They're just, <laughs> they're going to just be in a different form. Changing form. Yeah. Anyway, they go on and say, um, I know you say not to make this test your life. Still, going hard, going ham on LSAT prep this semester would yield a greater reward than picking up a part-time job when I head back to school where I wouldn't be making much money anyway. Your advice would be greatly appreciated. Thanks, S. So, okay, so full-time school. Should they work or should they study for the LSAT? I mean, I understand the argument. You make more money from LSAT studying than you do from working at the bowling alley on campus like I did. So. Sure. What do you think? Well, my number one goal and I, and this is your number one goal, too, too. If uh, if uh, if all these Don't years have taught me my anything. number one goals are. Oh, <laughs> just kidding. Uh, is get the highest LSAT score you can get. Nothing else yeah. matters until that if you're going to go to law school. But even, you know, if you decide not to get to law school or to go to law school, getting the highest score you can get is still your number one goal, because if you fail at that, then that's a good sign that you shouldn't go. 
And if you are going to go, then that's what you need first and foremost, no matter how long that takes. And so if that means you have to decide the best way to do that. For most people, that means to work and study at the same time because you can't study all day. But if for whatever reason you feel like you're going to work better, if you can just focus on the LSAT, great. I don't care. Do what you need to do to get the highest score you can get and then apply the next September. Don't forget our first, I mean, step zero of this process is get straight A's. That's true. You're still an undergrad. That's true. I forgot about that, but that's because so many people are already done with undergrad, but you're not. So... Maybe you you shouldn't be studying LSAT at all. Maybe you shouldn't be working either. Maybe you should be getting straight A's. Maybe you should be demonstrating to the law schools that you're going to apply to that you're really good at school. And even if you weren't perfect at school earlier in your career, maybe you want to be perfect in your junior senior year of school so that you can at least make the argument that, hey, I have a 4.0 over my last three semesters or whatever it is. Which is another reason, right, to apply after you to apply for the following cycle so that you can actually show them all those grades as well. Right. If you get a 4.0 or a 4.3 your final semester, well what good is it if it's also not gonna you've already applied and so they're not gonna see that. Yeah. Take a gap year, stop thinking about trying to apply this cycle. Don't worry about the logic games going away. You're just cramming in way too many things on too short of a horizon here. Get straight A's, study for the LSAT when you have time, work if you have time, apply in September with the very best LSAT you can get, even if that means you have to take a gap year um, or two or three. Yeah, but then you'll be set up for the rest of your career. Keep that in mind. Want to read this email from Han Yang? Hi, Ben and Nathan. I've been using the demon for about two weeks now. Thanks to your intuitive methods, I'm already making decent progress. I have a few questions about law school admission. A brief introduction about myself first. M-dash. I'm an international student who just graduated from Rice University with a BM in piano performance as well as a BA in sports management. I have a cumulative GPA of 3.88 and will be heading off to Yale to pursue a MM degree in piano performance. I'm applying for the 2024 cycle and was wondering the following. Wait, hold on. I'm wondering, why is someone who's so good at piano going to law school? (laughs) Okay. One. Renaissance man or woman. I don't know. Yep. Number one, I assume that I'm applying with a relatively unique pair of degrees. Does it give me an edge to apply with less popular majors? Relatively unique. <laughs> Are they unique That's or not? That's a phrase that needs to die. Um, yep. We don't use the word unique ever. Unique means one of a kind. Relatively one of a kind <laughs> would mean not literally, but figuratively, you know, like, I, I don't know. It's different. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Relatively rare. That might yeah. be a better yeah. How about just rare? That is a rare pair of degrees. Absolutely. Yep. Are you kidding me? Piano performance and sports management is already rare. Yeah. And now getting also a master's in piano performance. Yeah, there's it's rare. It's rare. And I, I think that will I don't think it will. It won't hurt you and it could help you because you'll be different. But at the end of the day, they're going to be more concerned about your LSAT score and your GPA. Yeah, it's not useful to think about 
Thank you for your question. Stop thinking about it. It's irrelevant. You need the best LSAT you can get. All right, what yep. else? Number two, I am certain that I will be able to audit classes at Yale Law. Would it be worth it to do so? Sure. Do law schools admissions care that I had the experience? No. I mean, maybe Yale would. Like, you're going to develop a relationship with a Yale Law professor. Sure. <laughs> then, yeah. But the bigger value here is taking a class and seeing if you actually enjoy it, right? Y yeah. <laughs> like, realizing how awful it is and deciding to just go be an awesome piano performer. Yeah. Or piano teacher or music teacher or anything. Or 100 million <laughs> other things. Yep. Yeah. But three. yes, absolutely. Do some auditing. That's great. Cool. So number three, should I worry about my graduate GPA or should I spend more time grinding through the LSAT? Obviously, I won't get all Fs in my classes, but if they don't matter nearly as much, I wouldn't force myself to go for a 4.0. Why? My <laughs> question is, why are you going for this degree at all? How is this degree going to help? How is your master's degree going to help you as an attorney? Well, and I'll just tell you, if you're it, attorneys win, it's about winning. That's not some shit that a lawyer says. A lawyer is going to go get a 4.0 because they're in they're enrolled in the thing. They decided like, to compete in this event, so they're going to do well in this event. They're also going to do well in the LSAT competition because that's another event that they're going to be competing in and one that's required for admissions. Um, my question is, why are you competing in the master's degree competition? Yeah, don't why do it you if you're not going to get a 4.0. Don't do it if you're going to go to law school. Why are you doing it? Really? Yeah, I, I tend to agree with that. I mean... Don't go get that master's because you think it differentiates you for law school admissions. You can already write about your BA or BM. I've never heard of a bachelor's in music, I guess. I've never heard, I've of, never that. heard of that before um, in piano performance. But you could already write a personal statement about piano performance, which I that's probably what you should write your personal statement about. Because piano performance, you know, if you're performing at like any kind of a elite level, that's just going to be very impressive because, again, lawyers win. Law schools are looking for winners. You've already demonstrated that you're a winner. Like going mm -hmm. and paying for a master's degree has nothing to do with winning. That has to do with being rich. <laughs> really. But back to your like, point, if you're going to do that competition, do it and win or get out. Right. No. Yeah. I mean, do not do that. Like, what are you kidding me? You're going to put less than perfect grades on an academic record before applying to an academic institution, <laughs> including <laughs> Yale itself. Yeah. They want to know whether you're good at school. Like they want to know whether you're going to be a star at their school. And if you get a 3.7 in some master's program, they're going to be like, eh, well, probably wealthy, but you know, not like a killer gunner, like not, not the ruthless kind of winner that is going to be winning big legal battles. This corresponding concludes thank you exclamation point i will upgrade to live next month and i look forward to seeing y'all likewise thanks han yang i hope you said your your name right um yeah see you in class sometime soon i hope come to class come to class sooner rather than later because like <laughs> especially me i'm gonna tell you that you're wrong about things and you know like some people hate that and that's fine you can go to many other classes with nicer teachers than me but if you come to my classes and you start talking about things, I, you know, and I, I just think you have it wrong, I'm going to give it to you straight. 
And I'm, I'm going to try to get you to stop wasting time worrying about unnecessary shit. And it's very possible that this master's degree is just unnecessary shit that you should not be doing if you're serious about law school. I could be wrong. Yeah. I, I'm just telling you my opinion. Yeah. Um, anyway, hope to see cool. you in class. Yeah. This next one is from, uh, I guess, sent to us from Haley. Haley works for us. She manages Instagram and so forth. This says, this was sent into us by an Instagram follower to potentially be discussed on one of the podcasts. Smiley face. Yeah, I haven't gotten to it yet. I, I've been waiting for it to pop up in my New Yorker magazines. I'm like a couple issues behind always. Okay. Um, okay. It's oppressive. Have you ever had a, <laughs> you ever had a New Yorker subscription? No. Oh, they pile up and they're, they're great. I love them, but I've learned now to like in the episode episode, the issue that I just had on with me on an airplane, I read the pickleball article. Mm -hmm. I read the mega yachts article. And then I read one about the new electric Volkswagen bus. So and let me guess the I New Yorker, everything else. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a, it's an old style of journalism. It's long form. Is that correct? So these articles long are form several features. Pages. Oh, there's also yeah. fiction. I almost always read the fiction, but this one, I, I got bored with it. So I just gave up on the fiction. Hmm. Um, I skip all the cartoons. I don't think the cartoons are funny at all. I read talk of the town sometimes because it gives you like little vignettes from around New York city, which is mm. just kind of fun to read about the city. And then I'll read uh, the restaurant review every once in a while. Or I'll read the movie reviews every once in a while. I don't know. It's cool. It's eclectic, just, you know, bunch of it's heavily New York focused. Anyway, I haven't gotten to this one yet. We'll talk about it more once I get there, but it's called the aging student debtors of America. Hmm. And okay. it, Okay, so this is from Instagram. It's yep. a New Yorker story, but it, the sub, the summary says, in 1983, a 52-year-old public school teacher frustrated by the inequity in her classrooms enrolled in law school. She borrowed 29000 in federal loans. Today, she owes $329,309 in student debt. She's now 91 years old. Oh. So... This is somebody who 40 years later now has 10 times as much as she borrowed. And that's wow. uh, the outcome that we are most afraid of when we warn you against paying for law school. I mean, yeah. this poor lady only paid 29,000. That's not even <laughs> or only borrowed 29,000. Well, that's yeah. like one semester today. Yeah. Like you could borrow 10 times that much today. That that might not even be one semester. That might be, um, I mean, if if you're really paying for everything, right? Because you got room and board and yeah, one semester or, at like a state affordable state school. But yeah, if we're okay. talking about USC, that's not even one semester of tuition at USC. Jeez, Louise. let alone living expenses or fees or books. Although she must and, have made some mistakes after that, because to let this debt balloon into this amount is disturbing. No, but dude. I mean, our system now we have we have income based repayment mm -hmm. and you go into income based repayment. You're making payments that are frequently not even enough to service the debt. So the principal keeps growing and then the principal is growing on. Yeah. Oh, geez. And there are forgiveness programs. But if you, you know, if you make too much money, fail to work in nonprofit um, do you know any other kind of clerical errors like there's you get marry somebody who makes a little bit too much money and now you no longer qualify for the program anymore. There's various ways that you can that that this debt can come back to bite you. And, um, 
yeah, so here's a real lady. Uh, and and I we hear it a lot, don't we, Ben, from like older folks who are going back to school. And it's like, I'm a nurse and I just I this is such a scary thing. You know, these patients, I feel so bad for them. It's so it's so unjust. Mm. They think law school is the solution. They think them going to law school is going to fix that problem. <laughs> and the law schools are all too happy to sell that dream, you know, like, oh, yeah, of course. Oh, absolutely. Oh, not traditional. Yeah, yeah. Advocacy and the blah, blah, blah. And it's like, <laughs> OK, who gets paid to <laughs> do this kind of advocacy? I mean, the reason why this kind of advocacy is because is nobody gets paid. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> So uh, there are pro, bro, pro bono programs, but if you're if you're paying for a JD, you're paying for that JD because you think it's going to make you money. Uh, well, that's the only sensible reason. I, I, I just don't. I don't know. Wait, uh, keep so, reading this. This is shocking to me. So Americans age 62 and older are the fastest growing demographic of student borrowers. That makes sense. I mean, it's also a really fast growing demographic. Still, Period. it's sad that that demographic still has debt. You'd expect people by that time to be whoosh, done, right? Like, oh, yeah, I paid that off 10 years ago. The schools Fuck. are just like, you know, they're think about it from the school's perspective now, too. They're like, oh, I know for sure you're not going to like there's no return on investment here. It's you're crazy. definitely like losing on this deal. Mm -hmm. But <laughs> I'll. I'll still just, um, yeah, we'll admit you and you can borrow all this money and just die with the debt. They don't care. They <laughs> oh, got man. their money. Now it's going to the taxpayer. Older student debtors are not exceptional cases within the mounting student debt crisis. Their experiences are, in fact, indicative of its hallmark features. Elaine Shermer writes in The New Yorker. OK, uh, I, I'll uh, I'll read that. I'll if it. If there's something more in there, I'll report back. You want to try cool. to do like maybe rapid fire on some of these emails? We've got a bunch of them, but maybe yeah, we can let's knock do them it. out. Okay, I'll take this anonymous one. Okay. Hi, Ben and Nathan. I'm currently able to complete three reading comp passages with very high accuracy whenever I do a time section. When I do both drilling and time sections, I focus on comprehension and accuracy. I know from being a longtime viewer of the podcast that I shouldn't be too worried about the section that I'm not completing. Since as my comprehension improves over time, my speed will improve as well. Do you have any advice for how I can review reading comp and improve my comprehension when I'm getting almost every question that I attempt right? I understand the protocol for when I get questions wrong to ask myself why the answer, right answer is right, why the wrong answer is wrong, why I picked the wrong answer, etc. I also understand that a key to comprehension is to slow down and to read the passage carefully. Are there any other review comprehension related strategies you recommend? Currently, I watch the RC explanation videos for the passages I attempt and review my passages thoroughly. Thank you. Sounds like you're doing all the right things, Anonymous. I think you just need to figure out ways to dismiss wrong answers more confidently. You need to read answers expecting them to be wrong, and you need to be looking for the nope as quick as you can find it. Sometimes it's in the first phrase. That does mean that you're going to eliminate all five every once in a while, but that's okay. You should be eliminating all five fairly regularly. I mean, you know, just not you're not not it shouldn't be infrequent. It should it should be a thing that pops up pretty pretty readily that you're like didn't like any of them. Okay, let me give them one more look. 
rather than, oh, I liked three of these answers and I'm looking really carefully at all three of them. It's like, no, no, there there's you've got to you got to cut, you know, cut bait on shit that's not working. And yeah. that's the way because you're doing all the other stuff right. It sounds like I would add too, and maybe you're already doing this, but I, if you're doing three passages and you're getting them almost entirely correct, then you have every um, right to go ahead and do that fourth passage when your time is up. And I don't know if you're doing that. I can't tell from your email, but you might as well do that last passage too, because that's probably going to be harder than some of the earlier ones. And you need practice with these harder passages. Great. Okay. Eric says, when I'm drilling logic games and get all the answers correct, but I take 15 plus minutes, how can I review the game to improve my speed? Or would you recommend simply drilling more games to help with this goal? I usually watch the explanations to see if there are any tricks I missed, but I would appreciate any additional advice that you have. Yes. Start watching the video. And as soon as you realize that you could have something done something differently or better, stop the video right there and redo the game with that piece of information and see what you can do. Yeah, I would I would encourage you to try doing that game different ways. Not yep. necessarily try to do it faster, but if you didn't make worlds, make worlds. If you made worlds, try making worlds in a slightly different way. For many games, there's five different ways that you could make worlds and they all work out equally well. And that game took you 15 minutes, but there are probably first steps that you could have taken that would have led to a six or seven minute solution. Uh, that's really where you're headed uh, with worlds. If you're ever going to get to the point where you're going to finish the section. And, and we do think that everybody should eventually be able to finish the section on time uh, in games. Yeah, I agree with that. I, the word that stuck out to me here is Eric says, I watch the explanations to see if there are any tricks, Eric, what I want you to do is I want you to see a, get an idea and then act on it, put it into practice, try to do the game differently based on that idea so that you can actually put it into your head through doing. Cool. All right. Read this one from Marissa. Hi, Ben and Nathan. Love your podcast and the demon. I recently listened to the two episodes about the LSAT in Malcolm Gladwell's podcast, Revisionist History, and have since been wondering what your thoughts might be on it. This is season four, episodes one and two, Puzzle Rush and The Tortoise and the Hare. I found it super interesting, but obviously will not be canceling my Demon subscription anytime soon. Thanks. That podcast, we reviewed it a long time ago. It was complete garbage. I don't remember the details, but it was bad. Malcolm Gladwell, I listened to those. Yes, we did review those episodes um, years ago when they came yep. out. Yep. And... Um, I had heard, so I used to love Malcolm Gladwell. I read Blink. I read uh, The Tipping Point. I read whatever other books. He was one of my favorite writers. He's a New Yorker writer sometimes. So, you know, I'll read the Gladwell when it comes up in The New Yorker. Thought yeah. he was great. Yep. Uh, and then I had heard, though, that domain experts hate Malcolm Gladwell. I didn't understand why until he covered my domain. I am an expert in the law school admission test. And when Gladwell covered the law school admission test, he got it wrong in every possible way. He he seems to have reached his conclusions before he went out and got evidence. His evidence comes from people who aren't even experts. He like interviewed some dudes who live across town in Manhattan 
you know, some guys who used to teach for the Princeton Review or something, instead of like talking to modern experts about the test. And it I, I thought that those two episodes were just awful. <laughs> so what does that make us think about all the other things that he's presented it, on well, various topics? Yeah. Before you accuse me of, you know, throwing the baby out with the bathwater, I I um I just started reading a new book by Malcolm Gladwell. Some a, a friend of mine recommended talking to strangers and I started reading it. I I I just read a different book by Gladwell. I read the uh Bomber Mafia, the the one about the the bombing um kind of politics behind bombing that we did in Japan and other places. But you know, I, I think I, I, all I'm saying is take it with a grain of salt, like take it with a grain of salt, says. even what you're reading now, because it is interesting. I think the people who have listened to those episodes walk away with an understanding of the LSAT that they think is on solid ground because Malcolm Gladwell yeah. is a very smart guy. He can explain his argument in a way that's persuasive. People are going to hear that and go, shit, that's how this works. And it's like, no, it does not. It's the exact opposite. It he's was a weird. provocateur, not a journalist. I mean, yeah. he's not he's not he's not doing even handed reporting. He's deciding what he wants to conclude. And then he's going out and marshalling evidence in favor of that conclusion. Yep. He, he's just not actually learning things. It, so, I mean, yeah, he's a good writer. He's an entertaining storyteller, but he he whiffed like so hard on. <laughs> I can't listen to that podcast anymore because he I can't hear his voice anymore. I can still read him, but I <laughs> like he. He just got it totally wrong and he says it with a hundred percent conviction. Yeah. So anyway, thanks Marissa. Yep. This next one's from Alex. Alex says, Hey Ben and Nathan, I came across the demon recently and your strategies have shocked me given my experience with a different tutor. My previous instructor told me that I shouldn't use real practice exams. <laughs> that's fireable. I mean, that's instantly you're fired. You're not uh -huh. my LSAT teacher. If you're telling me that. Yep. And that to train myself in understanding the LSAT, I should create my own logical reasoning and reading comprehension questions instead and answer them accordingly while studying with the games that he provided me. Wow, that's I really bad. To... <laughs> <laughs> I was just talking to Brandon about this this morning. I was saying it's it's possible to write a logic game, but it is so hard to write a logical reasoning question or a reading comp question a reading comp question. I can't even imagine trying to write that, writing the passage and then coming up with questions. The funny thing here is this tutor is asking him to then turn around and answer the own question, his questions that he wrote. Boy, that's going to be a real challenge, isn't it? To answer your own questions. Dumb. I learned how to diagram, not just on games, but on LR and RC as well. I was instructed to quickly skim the passages in reading comp and then diagram them First, searching for any conditional statements in the passage, writing it down on a piece of paper to remember, including the contrapositive in fucking reading comp, Ben. This is weird. This is just bad. And then writing down how they connect to main points in the passage on the same paper. <laughs> what? Okay. Pull out conditionals and then try to connect them to the main point? What? I started with a diagnostic of 148 and have only been able to move my score up to 150 on his practice exams, which are they even real practice exams? This tutor sucks. This is the worst. I don't know who this is. Who is this? This is terrible. Do not work with this person. They're they're getting it wrong in a Gladwellian sort of a way. I mean, they're getting it wrong in every possible way. <laughs> it's so strange. <laughs> 
My goal score is a 165, and I hope to pursue a JDMD. Oh, my God. Do you think this is possible by the September exam? What? (laughs) Um, Fire your current tutor. Start taking actual practice tests. Stop worrying about September. Don't register for the test until your practice tests are up where you think they need to be for whatever your goals are. And do a JD or an MD, not both. I don't see why you would ever do both. Uh, uh, that makes no sense to me. Do you want to be a doctor? Be a doctor. Do you want to be a lawyer? Be a lawyer. Yep. Uh, yeah, this one's from Ryan. Go ahead. Yep, Ryan. Hey, Ben and Nathan, I recently discovered your podcast and have found it very enlightening for my studies. While my only use of the Elsa demon has come from the podcasts, I am considering transitioning over from my current LSAT prep company to you guys. I have been studying on and off for the past two years, my cold diagnostic being a 129, zero studying, okay, and a 145 with about two months of studying. I have now been studying for two years, all caps, and I have only managed to come up to an average of 155. With my low GPA of a 3.10, I need the best LSAT score I can possibly get if I want to if I want law school to be a realistic option for me. I just have no idea what I'm doing wrong. My study method, take a timed practice test once a week. Blind review and review all wrong questions. Input explanations for my mistakes in a wrong AC journal. Mm, waste of time. Yep. I also supplement this with my, a section from a previous practice test every day. Wow. Yeah, you're doing too much. You need to just drill. Chill out and drill because you can do one question and then you can review our explanation and ask any questions if you have any. You will yeah, learn so problem, much faster. Yeah, your problem, Ryan, is that you're not actually understanding anything. You're doing way too much work. You think you're reviewing. You're trying. I mean, you're, you're doing your best, but you're not actually getting it. Like you're... I don't know what you're using for explanations, but those explanations aren't actually registering. You're writing shit in the wrong answer journal. I guarantee that if I picked a random page in your wrong answer journal, there's going to be wrong shit all over that page. Oh, absolutely. Like you don't you don't know what you're talking about. You're not <laughs> you're not authorized to make a wrong a wrong answer journal. Yep. You you need to slow down and do one question at a time and actually understand it to where it clicks in your brain. You you don't you don't need to write. You're wasting time writing nonsense in your wrong answer journal. I'm sure of it. Get a demon free account and do yeah. drilling. Just start drilling. And your job is not to do a section. It's not to do a practice test. It's to do one logical yeah. reasoning question or one game or one reading comp passage. And I'm saying or. So do one of those things and then review the heck out of it. If you're still confused about anything, don't take notes, hit the ask button and ask our ask team what you don't understand. Focus on the clicks, Ryan. You need to get the clicks where the test makes perfect sense. You're not getting there with your current methods. So you need to switch it up. You need to, I mean, if you only do one question today, but it actually clicks, that's a win. That's better than what you've been doing. Absolutely. And you only did one question. You're not going to be worn out. Right. All right. Two more emails. Let's do these. This is from Ellen. Ellen. says, I'm writing in about questions regarding the personal statement on your podcast. You have discussed not accidentally revealing that you are an accommodated test taker through your personal statement. 
I am legally blind and will be an accommodated test taker. I intend to write about my experience with vision loss, not because it's an obstacle I overcame, but because it is why I want to go to law school. I'm interested in disability rights. Regardless, will disclosing this have a negative impact on my, how my score is viewed? For reference, my average practice score is 165, but I'm confident I can gain a few more points with additional studying. I'm also wondering if it makes more sense to discuss my vision loss in a diversity statement instead, or if I should touch on it in both my personal statement and my diversity statement. Hoping to get your take on the best way to approach this. Thanks in advance, Ellen. Well, definitely don't talk about it in both. Um, if you're going to talk about it, it does seem like it would be nice for you to talk about it in your diversity statement and then talk about something where you're winning in your personal statement. My concern is that you're going to focus too much on your aspirations if you put this in your personal statement. I want to become a disability rights attorney. Uh, let's talk about what you've done successfully and show how you're a winner. Yep. I don't, I don't care about your motivations. I care what you have done with those motivations. If you tell me what you've done with those motivations, then it's like, oh, wow, this is a very motivated person. I wonder what motivated her. But when you just tell me about your motivations, I, you know, it's like, well, okay, so you're legally blind and that, that makes you interested in disability law, but not every legally blind person is like automatically qualified to work in disability law. Absolutely. How many people want to go to the Olympics? Right. It just, it's not interesting. I wanted to play major league baseball when I was a kid who I not in any way qualified. And <laughs> I mean, I know the schools sometimes lead you down that path of, well, tell us why you want to go. But I, I don't, I, that's not what I'm looking for. If I read a personal statement, I, I'm looking for, is this person going to be a killer at my school? And the best way you can convince me that you're going to be a killer at my school is to tell me how you've been a killer at work or in previous academic experiences. Um, well, and to be clear, schools are asking for that because they're looking for people to apply. And they just want you lot. to write a statement. They yeah. just, they want you to feel good about it. That's all they care about. Look, all of their tips, they're a hundred percent of their tips. When, when law schools give tips about personal statements, a hundred percent of their tips are related to patting you on the head, making you feel, yeah, yeah, that's good. Uh-huh. Yeah. Perfect. Do that. More of that. Send it Do in. It. Send Do it that. in. Send it in. The stupider Apply your today, statement now. is, the easier it is for them to reject you because you've just divulged a bunch of garbage. Yeah. Right? Your ignorance, your naivete, et cetera. I would like to think that law schools are going to be like, that's super awesome. We want visually impaired people in our school. I would like to think that. I hope that that is true in real life. Is it? I don't know. I do think that there's a hazard when you disclose this, that they could immediately go legally blind, clearly got extra time on the LSAT. And do they care though? Because at the end of the day, they still get that 165. Sure. That so, well, but remember, it's two things, right? Dean Z told us. Yeah. She's thinking about two things. What's it going to do to my ranking? And are they going to succeed? They don't care. Yeah. Are you going to succeed? There, they care. The way I understand the ADA, you know, they, you, people with disabilities have been discriminated against forever and still are in myriad ways. I, you have legal protections. They can't ask you if you're disabled. And if you don't disclose that you're disabled at all anywhere in your application, then they have no way of knowing. 
And I would just worry that they might be like, oh, wow, legally blind student. Yeah, that could be that could be difficult for us. Or legally blind student probably got extra time on the LSAT. That 165 is in the middle of our range. But, you know, they probably had extra time. So maybe this person can't actually cut it at our school. I I guess I'm not saying don't talk about it, Ellen, because I think that, you know, (laughs) if we were all better people, then you writing your diversity statement about being legally blind would be nothing but a good thing for you. But I would like to see what your application would look like without ever even mentioning it. It's an interesting challenge because it would force you to focus on how you're winning at whatever it is that you're winning at. And that itself is probably more valuable than relying on this as a crutch, maybe, right? As like, oh, look, I have this thing I can write about. Yeah, you do. And maybe that's your best statement, but at least try without first. Especially your personal statement. Like, I I would love to see a disability free version of the personal statement that's just like, no, here's how I have kicked ass. Like, surely, I mean, Ellen is planning on going to law school and kicking ass in law school and kicking ass in as an attorney and has nothing to do with her visual impairment. Mm -hmm. Right. It has everything to do with, hey. That, that shouldn't be a barrier to legal practice. Okay, yep. so it shouldn't be a barrier to legal practice, then why are we even talking about it? Yep. I would love to see what it would look like if you could do it without. And then if you can't do it without, or if you think it really would be stronger with it in, then yeah, put it in there. But on a personal statement, I'd rather hear about achievements. All right, want to read this thing from Dante? Hey guys, I was finishing my application to Texas A&M. I guess a couple of schools are already open. And they asked me to list all the schools I was planning on applying to. (laughs) When I ran out of characters in their box, it made (laughs) me wonder if I was going to look bad that I am applying to 42 schools. (laughs) I'm curious why you decided to disclose all these schools. You don't have to Is it an optional question, Dante? If it's an optional question, you don't have to answer it at all. Don't answer it at all. If it's required, then... (laughs) I don't know. If you're really planning on applying to 42 schools, you can easily put in 10 or 20 and then plan on applying to more later. <laughs> it's clearly a negotiation question. Yeah. I mean, I don't, you know, boy, negotiation, uh, when they ask a question like that, I don't know, man, they're like daring you to lie to them. And it's kind of like, or just, I, I don't know, I might just not answer. I certainly wouldn't answer if if the form doesn't make me answer, I wouldn't answer. I, I just I'd be like, no, I didn't. Wait, huh? <laughs> Come again? Wait, you what? know, it's like like we're negotiating over the price of a car, right? How many cars are you looking at? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. How many, how many other? Yes. Yeah, what's well, what's your budget? Car car dealers do that. They say how long you've been. They do it indirectly. How long you've been in the market? What what do you what have you looked yep. at so far? Yep. What's your budget? What what do you want your payment to be? (laughs) How much is your current payment? What do you do for work? Yeah. You know, I mean, they're, they're fishing They're It's part of the scholarship negotiation and it is part of the admission negotiation. I mean, if you tell them that you're applying to 20 schools that are better ranked than them and 20 schools that are worse ranked than them, they have a good reason to dismiss, to just deny you for yield protection. I mean, that's that's a pretty clear case of where they could do it if they were going to do it. Mm -hmm. I don't think yield protection is really as much of a thing as people make it out to be. 
But in the case where you're actually applying to 42 schools, if you tell them that, why wouldn't they yield protect you? I mean, if all schools are situated equally, they have a two and a half percent chance of getting you. Exactly. They're going to feel I mean, like their chances are low. <laughs> so they'll just deny you because they know it helps with their yield protection or it helps their yield number. So yeah. I just wouldn't tell them if the form makes you tell them what is what's the exact wording of the question? Yeah, what's it? Well, it's planning. If it's planning, I was planning. You know, I had been planning to apply to 42, but then when I read your application, I said, nah, I'm only planning. I'm only I'm only applying to two schools. And then uh, my that was my changed. plan. <laughs> changed <laughs> immediately. As soon as I hit submit on your application, my plan changed. <laughs> That's shady, Dante. Don't 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 play their stupid game. Be LSAT famous. Get on an upcoming show by emailing help at, LS- at thinkinglsat.com. If you have questions about the LSAT Demon, email help at lsatdemon.com. You can also check out our other podcast, LSAT Demon Daily. That was episode 363 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. Thanks all y'all for listening. Nice knowing you. Don't pay for law school.